Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to another episode of Of The Devil's Body. Uh, my name is Alice, and I am joined by Dr. Peter Groves again. And we really are doing the Vathek episode. It is coming. <laughs> Maybe this weekend. <laughs> Canto 11. Canto 11. Of book two. Of book two. Still, still in his rather extended stay in the House of Alma, mm. which has taken up most of the second part. And we begin with an apostrophe, as always, this time to the war of the flesh against the soul and against reason. What war so cruel or what siege so sore as that? <coughs> which strong affections to apply against the fort of reason evermore? to bring the soul into captivity. Which, of course, is a nice little reminder, isn't it, of salvation, which is described as Christ bringing captivity in... Uh. Cap- uh, captivity captive. Their forces fiercest of infirmity of the frail flesh relenting in their rage and exercise most bitter tyranny upon the parts brought into their bondage. Tyranny. Tyranny, of course, means here... Exos... Uh unjustified exercise of authority? Yes, yes. Well, in in fact, unjustified exercise of power. Power. It's an unjustified claim of authority, but an exercise of power, yes. To be nitpicky. Hmm. (laughs) It's your job. (laughs) It's my job. (laughs) But here, of course, it's referring to misrule, Hmm. the misrule of the body by the mind. And then you're meant to think of disorderly desire, sin, da-da-da-da-da. That's right. But in a body which has freely yield his parts to reasons rule obedient and letteth her that ought the scepter wield. Her that ought the scepter wield is quite interesting, isn't it? The body is he and the soul is she. Hmm. <laughs> um, all happy peace and goodly government settle there in sure establishment. So Alma stands, of course, for the soul in that sense. Dear Alma, like a virgin queen, most bright, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> Couldn't be more obvious. <laughs> well, no, not exactly. Doth flourish in all beauty excellent, and to her guest a bounteous banquet dight, a tempered goodly well for health and for delight. So, again, I suppose you could say we're thinking about a, a mean here. You know, obviously gluttony, excess is misrule, but the, the alternative to that is not living in a monastery and beating yourself with birch twigs and eating one bean a, a week. Yes. But goodly a tempered diet, which mm. is also pleasant. And, a tim tam know. here and there. Exactly. Mm. Yes, mm. we all need that. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Just Good thinking, coffee. like every every woman in the Fairy Queen, uh, if they are, you know, uh, an established character of some description, is in some way... A commentary on Elizabeth, even when even the bad women, like every single one, obvious or not, he, because he's dealing with that cultural idea of, you know, John Knox and the monstrous regiment, always. Yes. Every one. So exactly, exactly. It's like a sort of splintered mirror. Yeah, because right. you read an academic say, oh, it's these six women, and it's like, well, it's also that one and that one exactly. and that one. It really is all of them. Exactly. Hmm. Except maybe Duessa. 
But even then, <laughs> like, that's what I'm saying. It, it, you're meant to think of it and yes. compare and contrast. That's right. Mm. That's right. <clears throat> and of course, Dearest, it does pop up later as Mary Queen of Scots. And is tried. It's <laughs> tried, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, that's, that's true. It's, uh, again, it's part of this sort of underlying dream structure that forms the poem. Because there's a sense of, you know, dreams are monstrously narcissistic. And in a dream, every little character and so on is in some sense a reflection or, or, or part of you. Mm. Very often the part that you need to, you know, reclaim or recover or whatever it happens to be. So, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm. So, nice and early in the morning. I love his mornings. Mm. It always describes his love, aren't they? Love and joy in morning. You really hated night. Yeah, <laughs> and dusk. <laughs> and dusk that's right. So up rose Sir Guyon in his bright armour, and with him the palmer eke in habit sad, and self-addressed to that adventure hard. So they're off on their adventure now, which of course will be the Bower of Bliss. Mm-hmm. And we notice, interestingly, next stanza they have to take a ferry. A well-rigged boat. A well-rigged boat, yes. Was it well-rigged? Am I doing that right? Oh, you're absolutely correct. Yes, well rigged there. Yes. Ah. <laughs> and of course, in ordinary English, we well rigged. And he launches his bark forthright, and they're steering properly. Mm. So these are all these are all emblems of temperance. Temperance, exactly. But also, it's important, I think, that they have to cross a body of water to get to there. Because water often symbolises sexuality. Yes, exactly. Or sensuality, more sensuality, broadly. Sensuality. Yeah. That's right. Sexiness. Yes, that's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, but also because it's going to be a different genre. We uh-huh. stay, for, for this canto, we stay here with, uh, with Arthur, and we're in the realm of allegory. Mm. Very clear allegory, you know, signposted. Whereas they're off to, I think, a realm which isn't exactly allegory, but more symbolic, if that makes a sense. Symbolic romance, even? Well, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So there has to be a kind of distinction because, of course, this, these are the two culminating adventures of the poem and this one is for Arthur because it's about ir- the irascible passions mm-hmm. whereas the Baron of Bliss, of course, is all about the concupiscible. I mean, concupiscible, concupiscible is morally neutral. It's merely yes. psychic energy. And it's just that... Yes, and then irascible you, is... Yeah, you need, you need some concupiscibility if you're not going to be dead. And concupiscence is... Concupiscence fallen, is diseased. Di- yes, I had it, I had it. I was just like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, yeah, the two come into... That's how I remember it. It's That's right. It's upside-down triangle, yeah. And, of course, they're, they're both, they're both of those roots are in the name Cupid, which means basically desire. Mm. Okay, cool. Mm. Is Cupid Greek or Latin? Oh, it's Latin. Okay. Mm. Mm. It's Latin for eros. Which, which is, is the Greek. Which is the Greek. <laughs> and of course, you know, for Freud, it's a fundamental compulsion of the yeah. human psyche. Yeah. So, yeah, all these things meet etymologically. That's cool. Nice. Sed mulier cupido quod dicit amanti, inventu et rapida scribere oportet aqua. It sounds nice. Yes. It's Catullus. Uh-huh. He's saying... What a woman says to her lover in desire should be written on wind and running water. That is 
nice, maybe. Well, well, no, actually. No, no, he's <laughs> saying that women are fickle bitches. <laughs> sort of, but he's saying it from a very clear position of a jilted lover. Yeah. So that's okay in a way. He's not it's saying, still nice It's not a general tree. proposition. Mm. It is mulier in cupido, quod in cupido, in desire. Okay. Hmm. Mm. It's a marvellous poet. It's a marvellous poet. And... What romantic poet clearly read those lines? Here lies name whose one here lies one whose name was written water. That's Is it obvious? I don't know. <laughs> it keeps his own epitaph oh, for himself. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Mm, mm. I, I discounted Keats because oh yeah, he knew Latin, he didn't know Greek. Yeah, that's that right. That was yeah. I was yeah. like, it can't be Keats. Yeah. Okay. He translated Virgil. He translated the Aeneid. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So they're all well rigged and set up for their journey. And we turn away from them. But you see, as soon as Guy on was gone onto his voyage with his trusty guide, and that's the point, with his trusty guide. Mm, he's so, back. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the wicked ones are back because it's the power rather than Guy that's keeping them at, 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 uh, at a distance, I think. Mm. So as soon as his influence is gone, the influence of right reason, then all these nasties are back. The wicked band of villains fresh begun that castle to assail on every side. Lay strong siege about it far and wide. Yes, because the castle was represented as a as a body in the the animal, vegetable, rational mind. Just reminding people, go listen to that episode. Right. We've looked at that. Yes, indeed, indeed. Huge and infinite their numbers were, foul and ugly. They're in they're in, disposed in twelve troops, which is makes kind of sense because he divides them to five and seven. So. The seven and represent the deadly heaven. sins. Oh, okay. And five is your combination yes. of heaven and earth and... No, no, your senses. Senses? Because... Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. The world, the, 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 the sensual world that's constantly tempting you. Okay. With cream cakes and so on. And sex. Um, and a nice snooze. Mm-hmm. Assails you through the senses. Okay. Not directly to the mind. Five and twelve. Was he expecting his reader to... Pick that up. Well, well, yeah, it becomes clear later on when okay. we have we have seven, and then we have the five bullocks of the of the, of the castle that's, which are being yeah, assaulted. Yeah, so, okay, yeah. So, at everyone seeming in that race, seven of the same against the castle gate. This still stands as six, and the strong enchantments, entrenchments. I beg your pardon. He did closely place, which with incessant force and endless hate they battered day and night. At entrance did await. It's all, it's all based on contemporary military architecture and so on, quite interestingly. Rather, I suppose, than, than, than medieval. Hmm. The other five, five sundry ways he set against the five great bullocks of that pile, and unto each a bullock did a ret, to sail with open force or hidden guile. See, you can, be, you can be tempted by hidden guile as much as by open force by the senses, as of example when Red Cross slides... Into naughtiness the by the pool, a fountain of slow. <laughs> yes. Could happen to all of us. Could happen to anybody. Mm. Yes, yes. Just take your eye off the ball. Take your armor off. Mm. Have a nap. Tim mm. Tam. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the first lot are a monstrous rabblement of foul misshapen that is a strong emphasis on deformity and disease and unnaturalness and so on. No, because there's that famous paradox that sin seems natural to us, but of course it is unnatural because it's a denaturing from unfallen, un- 
uh-huh. nature. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> but here we're seeing it. We're seeing it clinically again, like Red Cross seeing these seven deadly sins, and so we're seeing it um, not as something attractive, but as something revealed in its sort of uh, naked unpleasantness. Mm-hmm. Headed like owls with becks on seat and comely bent. These are the five against the senses, you see. Like dogs and like griffins, dear. Owls. So owls, of course, because owls have amazing eyes. So they're good predators? Yeah. Yeah? They're amazing predators. <clears throat> well, they're, they're, they're nighttime predators, of course. So they need huge eyes to gather the available light. And what they do, of course, you, the, the, the typical barn owl <laughs> has those huge dish eyes, which, of course, are, is, is a sonic device. Mm. Because what that does is concentrate the noise into the dish and then into the, into the ear. That's cool. It's very cool, isn't it? So a, a, a barn owl can hear a, a vole underground scrabbling about from a huge distance Paul away. Vol. Paul Vol. Paul <laughs> yes, I know. I know. <clears throat> and lynxes too. Lynxes are famously um, clear-sighted. Watch what dogs are in there. Dogs are lovely. Dogs are lovely. <laughs> Why are dogs getting a bad rap? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Also, dogs aren't particularly keen-sighted. Well, unless, unless they're sighthounds. Unless they're greyhounds. So maybe he thinks greyhounds. I guess they're trying to say... Spencer trying to say they're like predators. Suppose yeah. they were used as such at the time. Oh yes, hunting dogs, <laughs> and they got wings and claws to tear. Yes, so they are predatory, very much so. And every one of them did bow and arrows bear. And these were lawless lusts, corrupt envies, and covetous aspects, all cruel enemies. And of course, um, lusts have arrows because, of course, we're meant to recall them. Cupid. But interestingly, there's an interesting idea at the back of this, which is, of course, that although sin blurs your sight, which is why you keep sinning and it's a kind of vicious spiral, because you see less and less clearly the nature of sin and you're more sucked into the, what we call it, the public image of sin. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the sizzled and not the sausage. You lose sight of the sausage. In... Yeah, and focused on the sizzle. On, focus on the sizzle. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah, spectacle. Yes, exactly, yes. Okay. The sausage. allurements, the enticements. Right. The you trappings. smell the Bunnings sausage sizzle. Yes, but you don't see the process of sausage manufacture in all its grisly detail. Because mm. then you probably wouldn't eat the Bunnings sausage. <laughs> well, I don't know. We keep falling into the same traps, don't we? <laughs> I'm very fond of a, a Bunnings snag. So. <laughs> <laughs> Here, of course, we are seeing these, these things... They're naked in their aggression and so on. So the, the thing is that although sin makes you dull-eyed, sin itself, as a predatory beast, is sharp-eyed. It sees your little weaknesses, your flaws, your nooks, your crannies, your... Get out of my nooks and crannies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, OK, I see. Maybe um, they thought dogs had good sight, but really it was their noses and they just didn't know yet. It's a good point. I doubt whether they understood how amazingly. Mm. Although they, surely they had some idea, though. Yes, yeah, because they used, they used they would have used dogs for sniffer dogs and stuff. Yeah, well, uh, uh, exactly, and <laughs> sniffing game and so on. Which mm. they, yeah, yes, yeah. They, would, they would do it. They would have figured it out. They would have okay. figured it out. So we can draw a distinction between Maliga 
who is the captain of this band. We're just about to meet him. And a crazier. They're the two sort of anti-superheroes, supervillains. Anti-heroes? No. Or supervillains. Yeah, supervillains, yeah. Yeah. Of the second part of the the last part of the poem. Because Maliga stands for, um, well, as I say, disturbances on the level of irascibility. So, you know, kind of frustration and anger and road rage. Road rage in regard all this and all sorts of, basically, that's what he stands for at bottom. And here we're seeing it, of course, nakedly, as I said before, like an anatomy. You know, meaning allegorically, yeah, yeah. like like a skeleton. You know, it's all visible, um, and in a sense, he's easy to defeat. Whereas Acrasia is a lot more complicated. Yes, because she is seen, or her garden is seen, under the guise of the sizzle and not the sausage. That's it. It's dressed <laughs> well, you up. Have, you have to uncover the sausage. Hello, there's a sausage here. <laughs> <laughs> You don't even have pain meds in you today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, the craziest temptation, well, not temptations, but the sinfulness is much harder to discern. So it's a it's a, a kind of job for subtlety. And, it's about- and you're meant to compare. You meant to, this one we can all see. Yeah. We can all do this one. Yeah. You're meant to then go, oh, exactly. <laughs> I didn't see it crazier though. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, this, this book is full of little repetitions and echoes. That's how it works as a teaching machine. Mm. So, this is a repetition or echo of Guyon, first of all, seeing the seven deadly sins and then experiencing lust. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Just in case we haven't picked that one up, we're told it with the bullocks of the sight. Oh, yeah, of course. Length, strong siege, and battleless assault. Interesting, at the end of this, because I'm, I'm conscious we can't linger on every stanza. Lovely as they are. I just love his poetry. It's just, just listen to his poetry. When I first read this poem, I don't know, 15, 16, <laughs> I had no idea of the allegory, no idea of anything except. I just loved the music. Fifteen-year-olds have changed. <laughs> a bit, a bit. But, you know, that's how the romantics, to a large extent, read him. You know. Hazlitt says if you find a bit of allegory, it's like discovering some some gravel in your dish of strawberries and cream. Which, hmm. Yeah, not very not very insightful, is it? Whereas Shelley really studied him. Oh, yeah. In, his, yeah. in Italy. He spent a lot of time working through it methodically. The two of them, more huge and violent... The two biggest ones are beauty and money. Mm. Now, we find that very odd, I think, because in a sense, of course, that sums up the Cave of Mammon, doesn't it? A beauty philatine who stands for also all, all the things that come with that and your status and so on. And money, yeah, sure. But standing back from it, it looks very odd to classify money as a temptation of the sight. Because we have such a different view of money. It's the lust of the eye, isn't it? Lust of the eyes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what you have to do is you have to cast yourself back to a period where money was basically gold and silver. It was conspicuous consumption. Was conspicuous. Like if you had a lot of gold lying around. Yes. Well, you, you've got to think of the image of the miser heaping up his gold like Barabbas in the Jew of Malta. It is an image, whereas now you have billionaires with stupid mansions that everyone falls over. Well, yeah, and, and, and in a sense, the mansion isn't money. Yeah, money's in the bank. We can't see it. We can't see it. It's totally invisible. Mm. Yeah. And also completely 
Like, you, we can't imagine. What has Bezos got? Billions, 30 billion or whatever? Oh, yes. Like, how? You can't fathom that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's too many. Exactly. It's like stars in the galaxy and things. You can't, doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so to us, that's very odd. We have to, as I say, remember that it wasn't until this period that people began, there began a slippage between the value of money as an object that you can melt down and, you know, turn into gold. Mm. And the imputed or perceived or agreed upon value of money because it's in, the, in this you know in the 16th century in particular where everyone starts debasing their coinage like the Spanish mm-hmm. so you think you're getting a silver dollar but in fact only only part of it is silver and the rest is base metal and they hope you won't notice and it's more about the symbolism of the coin yeah. rather than that and, and of course then it becomes by the time you get to paper money in the beginning of the 18th century it's totally symbolism mm. so there's been an utterly radical radical shift in our notions of money which is concealed here by the surprise we feel when seeing that money is a, a temptation of the sight because if we had the amount of gold that, let's say, the miser had, we would have far more money mm. than we did gold. The, That's why beauty. The bank. Well, yes, exactly. The Bank of England still claims to offer you five pounds in gold if you come up with a five pound note. That's what they claim. Have you checked? <laughs> well, I don't know. We should check. But of course, if everyone did, uh, they would be completely stuffed very rapidly because <laughs> it's all notional. The second bullock is the hearing sense which the second troop designment makes. More deformed creatures, or deformed, of course, here, and strange difference. Some having heads like hearts, some like the snakes. You see snakes, of course, I suppose that's why they're there. Some like wild boars, who make slanderous reproaches and foul infamies. <laughs> and, of course, we are immediately not reminded so much if we're waking our way to the poem for the first time, but this is clearly an anticipation of... The Blatant Beast. Oh, yeah, yes, of course. Of, of Canto Six. So here, hearing hearing works most powerfully as a, as a lure to sin through language. Because, you know, a, a lot of... I mean, hearing... You get pleasure from hearing. But Dr. Johnson says that music is the, the only completely innocent pleasure. You can listen to music. Hmm... Yeah. Yeah. You can't be... Se- well, you, you can't be seduced. By me- well, you can't be seduced into wickedness by music, I suppose. It's you what's happening be- while the music's on. Yes. You can be enraptured and entranced mm. and lifted out of yourself. We are the music while the music lasts, as T.S. Eliot says. Mm. But you can't be lured into, I don't know, bigamy or something by music. <laughs> I bet you someone's argued it. Well, they probably have. They probably have, yes. Yeah, That's right. valid point. It is sinless in its... Yes, exactly. Effect. Mm. It might, I mean, seductive music. Um, when I was younger, the, the joke was Barry... Barry you heard of Barry Oh, White? you've made this joke. But, but yeah, Barry White. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That would be... Well, that, no, it's not really a joke, but the point is that was the typical seductive music you'd put on, you know... On your record player. I don't know what the equivalent would be now. Yeah. God knows. Yeah. <laughs> don't ask me. <laughs> Bad counsel of praises and false flattery, so it's all about the misuse of language and reason. And that's it, misuse to deceive. To deceive. In fact, these are all the people we meet in 
Bendentes Inferno in, in Canto. Oh, I was also thinking forward to the Blatant Beast again. Oh, and the Blatant Beast. But yeah, 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 yeah you're yeah, right. Yeah. Canto's Inferno. Mm. Mm. <clears throat> and then we've got smell. You notice one moving down. There was, a, there was a clear hierarchy of the senses which he reproduces here. So sight is very much at the top. Sight is the noblest of senses, most complex and so on. And at the bottom we have basically touch, which is the crudest, simplest of senses. It's not a moral hierarchy, but it's a hierarchy of complexity and sort of cognitive richness and so Yeah, on. just thinking as, all, as well like usefulness. Like you lose your sight, your stuff, you lose your hearing, your stuff. Yes. Smell, oh. you'd be all right. Yeah, touch. Taste. Yeah. Eh. Sort of cope. Touch. Yeah. Don't go near fire. <laughs> That's right. Put a jumper on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting, isn't it, that the five senses are traditional, but of course they're not real, because we have many more senses than five. Yeah. We've got the proprioceptive sense. Oh, yeah. You're... Uh your relation to up, like yeah, trying to, to kick a ball one. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Or you know where the table is if I close my hand, I you know. You I can, can anticipate it. I sort of, I sort of know where my body ends and the world begins. <laughs> mm. I, my current car is much smaller than the car I used to drive, and I'm still not really used to that, and I still, I still leave far too much room for the for the the bonnet. <laughs> proprioceptively, I'm still in the old car. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny how that, that becomes a little, yeah. Like if I'm An on a skateboard or on a bike. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. exactly so. Mm. And similarly, of course, you can imagine limbs that have been chopped off, but you still feel them there. Mm. It's still part of your experienced body. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. More senses than than the old model suggests, but I suppose you know. In a sense, he's got to he's got to represent the, the the actual model. I don't know if people wrote about that in the period. I don't think they did. Senses. The senses, yes. Or, or I mean, well, there's lots of writing. Like the famous Banquet of Senses by um, mm. Banquet of Senses by Chapman. Whether people explore the notion that there were other senses. I mean, well, even now, a famous film from the nineties, The Sixth Sense. Yeah, but, you know, the sixth sense could be anything. You'd have to go right up to, to get to I see dead people. You're right. You're right. <laughs> smell, what a smell givers. Again, they're hideous fiend-like. If, if, you, if you imagine the images of, you know, Bosch, Bosch's mm. images of hell, you wouldn't be far the wrong. Smell. Would be great. Yeah, well, all, but yeah. all of these monsters. Yeah. But, but smell in particular, yes. Yeah. In fact, in fact, isn't there one that's just kind of like a huge nose? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's his point. Ah, which of course gives us that wonderful image in Paradise Lost. Where remember Death? Yeah. When he's sniffing the newly fallen earth and he's he lifts up his nostrils and he turns into a huge nose. It's a brilliantly surreal kind of image. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Bosch was before Milton? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, well before. Bosch is fourteenth century. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Oh. So he's like medieval. Mm. But in many ways ahead of his time because he, he does have this kind of weird surreal quality. Mm. So fire, brimstone, sulphur, like these are the smells that were... Yes, that's right. That are, you know, they're associated with sin. Well, they are. With the, that's right, fiends of hell. The... Some like hounds. So they do associate sniffing with dogs. Well, this but is true. Specifically hounds, so hounds. bloodhounds and things, I suppose. Yeah, bloodhounds, I suppose. Puttocks. It's a good word, puttock. Puttock is a kite. 
a kite a kite is a, 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 a form of falcon but it's very much down in the hierarchy you know the hierarchies of animals yeah. that they had because um, puttocks were seen to be scavengers right kites so uh, Shakespeare uses it quite a lot as an insult ah. what's people puttocks kites so the, 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 the smell there is of course rotting flesh mm. not pleasant at all okay it loses its impact now if, if one has to look up puttock in the dictionary. <laughs> like, what? Those <laughs> yes. by ugly forms were portrayed, foolish delights and fond abusions, which do that sense perceive with light illusions. And these are all kind of illusions in a way, aren't they? Interestingly, he doesn't hear talk about seductive smells, like perfume or, or yeah. roast pork. Though the streets of London would be full of... Um, Stank. <laughs> mm, yes. That's again in Milton, that lovely image of Satan walking forth into the countryside. It's carnivorous or omnivorous shit. Mm. Stinks. Uh, so horse. Horse is actually quite pleasant, you know? <laughs> you heard it here first, people. <laughs> <laughs> but cat or dog. Ooh. Yeah. No, thank you. Then we've got ones against the taste. A greasy rabblement. Isn't that a lovely phrase? Some mouthed like greedy ostriches. Because they have the long neck. They have the long neck, like like so, like gluttony. Remember? Yeah, yeah. In book four, That's in, in four, book one. Yeah. And also, ostriches still have this reputation that they'll eat anything. You know. I couldn't bolt. tell you anything about an ostrich other than that they don't get close to one. <laughs> They're pecky. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not thinking so much as the natural history of ostriches. Okay. I'm thinking of the best series. Yeah. Okay. And of course, famously, they stick their head in the sand and they refuse to. And that's just bestries, that's not real. That's not real, no. Yeah, no, because no, it makes no sense. <laughs> Funny how people assume that it does. I know, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so they'll eat anything, got it. They'll eat anything. I mean, why not use a dog again? That's <laughs> <laughs> right, yes, yeah, exactly. Dog fits all in. <laughs> dog is all senses. That's <laughs> right. Ah, now here they're armed with darts of sensual delight. Stings of carnal lust and strong effort, or effort, you have to say, of feeling pleasures. Now, interesting. Oh, sorry, have I jumped? No, no. A stanza. Fine. We talked about smell and then. We did. That's right, lowly toads. So here, the fifth one, we know what it is, but it's not being named, notice. Yeah, but you have to work it out for yourself. Um, and you can, you know, there are many reasons why that should be. One is, you know, he's always setting in little puzzles. Mm. But it's also because, you know, it's the naughtiest of the senses in a way. That smell, sight might lead you... To sex. To sex. But only <laughs> but touch is going to get any, you to sex. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, all right, I follow his logic. <laughs> <laughs> um, stings of carnal lust and strong thought of feeling pleasures, which by day and night against the same fifth bulwark they continued fight. Um... <clears throat> Well, of course, that in a sense is why it's on the bottom of the hierarchy of senses. Because it's, yeah, associated with sexuality. Yeah. That's funny, because in Dante's Inferno, lust is so... Oh, well, yes. It's a, it's a non-event, even. It's exactly. Somewhere in the winds. It's not pleasant. I'm stuck exactly. with this idiot. <laughs> but that seems the thing about Dante, because he's, he's a kind of revisionist. He thinks about these things. Yeah. He's not bound yeah. by... It's just interesting that yeah. Spencer associates it with the worst sin. Well, I, I don't think we should necessarily say Spencer does. Oh, well, okay. Remember in what, this video. Yeah. What he's doing is he's presenting us with the typical Cultural. 
model which yeah. goes right back to Pliny and the ancients and so on. And whether he's endorsing it or not exactly. Oh, no, I think, yes, I agree. Yeah, yeah okay. I think he's much more subtle about these things. Mm. But, the, yes, the model has... It's interesting. That, yeah, it is. Yeah. It, it is. That Dante revises so much yeah. in that way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So also, a lot of people would put those people right down in the depths of Satan. Sorry if you yeah, saying. <laughs> yeah, but it's also, if you think about it, I mean, the experience ah, yes. of sexuality Sex, yes. is a lot more complicated than, than, than taste, uh, uh, smell. Um, yeah, you're right. Touch. <laughs> touch. Often you're including a lot of other senses. <laughs> all of them, surely. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it wrap them all up into a ball? Um, yes. You know, visual is so important. Yes. It's 90% of it, isn't it? Yes. You know, it all happens in Hearing, the head. you got to consent. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Lovely smells, you know. Yeah. You know, you can't get aroused in a pigsty unless you're really weird. <laughs> you, you want well, the perfume's very strong. Perfume, soft, well, exactly, yes. Soft music, you know, mm. all this kind of thing. It sets the scene. It sets the, the scene, and so in the entry, touch comes last. Yeah, and that, maybe that's the, that's his point. I think, I think it may be his point. Coalesces yeah. in. Yes, exactly. Coalesce is the right word. Oh uh, yeah, I'll come together. So. I like coalesce. Is that what it means? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Into one big package. <laughs> that you want wrap. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> That is, that is larger than the sum of its contents. Mm. Like the TARDIS. It's a, it's a... Yes, that's right. <laughs> it's a multi-sensory experience. That sounds like Eldris Huxley. <laughs> <laughs> but mere touch is way at the bottom. Do you know why the hedgehog is there? Uh, he's spiky? He's spiky? Well, because of his spikiness... Do they associate him with horniness? Yeah. That's stupid. I know, I know. But I, I, let me explain why. <laughs> and again, it's nothing to do with actual hedgehog behaviour. Okay. It's to do with the bestiaries again. Mm, idiots. As, as you probably know, hedgehogs carry apples around on their spines in the bestiaries. Oh, oh yes. I didn't know that one. Yeah, well, they, they don't do it in real life, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but also, they copulate face-to-face standing up to avoid the spikiness. In bestiaries? Yeah, in best years, yes. Not real. Okay. Not yeah, real hedgehogs, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And, and so they are a kind of grotesque parody of human copulation. Which is lying the horizontal monster. Well, but, but yeah, that's right. The beast with two backs. Yeah. But you don't want to be... Like, like if you're a hedgehog, I suppose, because you're squashing Spanky. your spines. Yeah. So the best, the best... Best Today posture. on Of the Devil's Party, oh. the best posture to have sex if you're a hedgehog. If you're a, hedgehog, <laughs> if you're a mythical hedgehog, <laughs> is face to face, facing it, because normally animals both face the same way, don't they? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Do- doggy style. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, no, no, yeah, I, I followed. <laughs> I just was like, yeah, they do. They do, they do. So this is a parody of that. This is why doggy style was seen as a form of, form of sodomy. That's so dumb. I oh, know, of course it's dumb, yes. <laughs> The kind of eroticism, particularly of the Catholic Church, about sexuality um, knows no bounds on limits. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. All right. And, and, and um, sodomy meaning um, any type of sexuality that is non-sexuality. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, noted. There will be a test, folks. <laughs> How do hedgehogs have sex mythologically? Mythologically, yes, exactly. So, the 12 troops. Now, he doesn't go through the sins, because I suppose he's done that several times before 
he just now has the 12 troops against a castle. Restless siege did lay, you know, it never gives up. It's always, you never win the battle, mm. as we've seen again and again. And now we hear about their wicked Capitan provoked them the breaches to assay. Sometimes the threats, sometimes the hopes of gain, which by the ransack of that peace they should attain. On the other hand, on the other side, of course, the body, the assieged castle, their steadfast stand did mightily maintain. So they're fighting back. They're not just giving in. And they have achievements wrought with peril and with pain. The goodly frame from ruin to sustain. Those two brethren giants did defend themselves as stoutly with their sturdy mane that never entrance any durst pretend but they to direful breach de- death their groaning ghosts did send. You, those two... Brethren giants. Yeah, you, who, what, which, where? Hmm? Where'd they come from? Well, you have to you have to work it out. You know, it's a little puzzle. I'm working. Hands. Your hands. Your hands. Okay, I would never have got that. Ah, oh, right. <laughs> well, they serve to... They protect the mouth. Nobody can force a cream cake into your mouth if your hands are preventing them. Okay. I... <laughs> So whether being forced <laughs> cream cakes is gluttony or not, I don't know. I, I, I rather doubt it because sin requires will, doesn't it? Right. Willful consent. If you're not consenting to the cream cake. Right. Yes. The hands and the relationship with the mouth. Got it. Yeah, the hand movement. So um, Alma is much dismayed with that dreadful sight. Fair enough. Fair enough. And so, of course, Sir Guy nobly offers his service and his dearest life for her defence against that Carl to fight. The way he does it, is he doing a little bit for honour? Ah, oh, well, I absolutely mm. praise desire. Mm. Yeah, that's that's actually this is very much the point, isn't it? Again, it, I keep quoting this from Henry James, but it's so true. Can bear another quote. But All characters it, are on trial. Yeah, in in, a, in an adult fiction, this is not a fairy tale. So yeah, we have got the the romance model of the perfect knight in shining armour. But then we have the real-world knight who, whose motives are always mixed, even if they're good on the whole and they lead to good. He's still, still part- human. He's still, still human. Stuff. He's driven partly by anger, although, you know, partly not so bad in an Aristotelian sense. But he's also written, driven by praise and desire. And by some lust. Some lust. He chases off after Florimel. We haven't and, got there yet. In, in and um, Phaedria. Oh, Phaedria, yes. Um, who's... Well, exactly. Whatever she's doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love Rowan's little drawing where she's got some wonderful leg over the side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Exactly. So, <laughs> so his motives are mixed, but the effect is good. Mm. And I think it's kind of reassurance too to the reader's think, because if the reader thinks, "Oh God, I've got to be this perfect fairy knight." who acts out of altruistic motives, which, of course... It's not realistic. Nobody can. Nobody does. Nobody will. the palm would fail. Yeah. The whole thing would collapse. (laughs) But no, if I can... If I can be this person who acts out of a mixture of motives, some of which are clearly good and useful and valuable, even though some are self-regarding, then Mm. I can get the job done. Yeah. And everyone's happy. And again, he's, 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 he lets the reader, he lets the naive reader indulge the fairy tale fantasies, the romance fantasies. But the more alert reader is, you know, 
encouraged to look beneath her. Look under the bonnet. Yeah, bonnet. Oh, of a car? Yes, yes. 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 No, no. <laughs> and see the workings of the engine. Mm. Yeah, and how they're, they're not always pretty, but they can be effective. The reality of humanity, a fallen humanity, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So there's a sense in which, you know, fallen humanity has to, to some extent, turn the weapons of sin upon sin. Anger. You know, if you're too laid back about everything, you're not going to get too distressed because of... People walk over you like a... Well, like a carpet. Like a carpet, indeed. <laughs> yes. But also, also... You're not going to get too worked up about sin. You're going to see injustice and think, eh, injustice, schmustice, you know. Yeah. Time for a, sna- time for a nap. <laughs> um, but anger will bring you in there. Yeah, motivate you. Mm. Mm. And, of course, there are hints of this even in the Gospels. You know, I bring not peace but a whip. Mm. This is, this is oh. <laughs> well, All right. Chacun a son and of course, he goes into the money, you know, the, te- the temple with his scourge. Mm, yeah. Whips on the money changer there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, quite. So, so 17, eftsoons himself in glitter and arms he dight. Even there, I mean, yeah, all right, it's proper battle dress for a prince, but there's a bit of, bit of display in there, isn't there? Oh, yeah. I would imagine in a battle. Less glittery arms would be more useful because. You, so be, you go around the Tower of London, you look at the armour and think, mm, "That was never used, though." That's right. <laughs> that was for, you were at the back. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the glitterier, the more useless. Well, uh, dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Think of also um, they'd see you. Well, that's my, my point. Yeah. My point precisely. Well, think of Nelson. He was shot on the quarterdeck of the Victory. Did he have a big hat on or something? Well, no, he had, he had a chest full of medals. That'd do it. And, and of course, in the silver medals, gold medals in the sun, he, he was got by a French sniper. And their job is to sit in the rigging and shoot people. So it wasn't news that if you stand on the deck emblazoned... Clearly the person in charge. That's <laughs> right. Be a bad morning. Yeah, you're liable to get shot. Yeah. Mm. So... You could oh. argue that maybe he wanted to. I mean, the point is, if you know, if Napoleon had been shot by cannonball and riding into Moscow, as he once said, he would go down as the greatest general who ever lived. But of course, he outlived his successes. And yeah, you either die a hero or live long enough to become the villain. Yeah, that's right. It's Batman. Or a has been anyway. <laughs> Batman. It's <laughs> a quote from Batman. <laughs> Well, Batman is an interesting example of moral ambiguity. Exactly. I mean, there's no moral ambiguity in Superman, I don't suppose. I'm not, much less. I can't claim much community with the canon. Right. Yeah, understand? No, that's right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Unless he's been, you know, poisoned uh, or something. There's a dog version of him now. A dog version? Yeah. Super dog. It's called DC Super Pet. And even his squire is gay, with his gay squire assuming did a spy. They reared a most outrageous, dreadful, yelling cry. You know, it was such a problem that on the medieval battlefield you would often have three or four different people pretending to be king, 
because I am King Decoy 4 today. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so they all at once let him fly their fluttering, fluttering arrows, thick as flakes of snow, <coughs> flock around him. It is pretty straightforward, I'll agree, though, isn't it? It's pretty straightforward, yep. So on their shield, his shield dash, heaped hail he bore. And with his sword dispersed the rascal flocks, which like a fled asunder, and him fell before as withered leaves dropped from their dryad stocks. Well, we know that one. We know that one. That's uh, a, a well, trope that keeps popping up. Homer, Virgil, Dante, Milton, Spencer Milton. Spencer Milton, yes. Shelling, yeah. 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 That's right. Anyone who does an epic. Anyone who does an epic, yeah. And it's, it's a fascinating snowball of an image. I think we should discuss this, but it picks up more significance as it rolls through the ages from Homer, where it's completely kind of innocent of anything other than death. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to death, the pathos of death in Virgil, to the guilt of sin in Dante, and so on. Fallen uh, devils in Milton. well, the fallen well, and the fallen devils in Milton, the, but they come from the. Dante's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. in a sense... They, but it carries all the others. Yeah. Like, the whole idea that seeking <laughs> seeking autonomy from God leads only to death. Because mm. you're now helpless. You're just a leaf being blown about. You're your own leaf. But, but you're one leaf. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> And you're not doing much. <laughs> you want to be on the tree. Yes. Yes, exactly. It's the only way you can actually do anything, be alive, part of the whole... Yeah, exactly. So everyone's attacking him. So it doesn't at this stage do to be much of a contest, as withered leaves drop from their dryer stocks when the wrath of western wind doth reeve their locks. Which, of course, is very much a... There should be a word for a pre-echo, shouldn't there? Anticipation. Anticipation would be good, yes. I have to use it all the time with Burke and the sublime. Anticipates ah. Burke, yeah. 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 Well, that, of course, anticipates Shelley. Western wind. Ah, oh, yeah, it's the West Wind. <laughs> Duh. Yes, because it is um, new life, isn't it? West. Well, uh, yeah, it is new life, that's right. Uh, yeah. Hold on, no, no, no. It's, no, East. no, no. no it's death. Death, sorry. East, east is I'm new getting... life. Death is yes, the dying Because sun. it comes from like Europe and whatever if it's east, and then yeah. west is, yes. Okay, yeah. sorry, gotcha. But the western wind, I mean, it comes off the Atlantic, you know, so in, in real terms it's quite a sort of fierce wind. Cold. So the east wind comes off Europe, so. Yeah, warm. Yeah. Ish. Well, ideally, yes, Zephyr. Yeah, yeah. Mm, that's right. You want the east wind? No, you want the west wind. The east wind tends to be rather cold and chilly. It comes across the North European plain. Oh. Um, yeah. And hits England in East Anglia. Cambridge is, 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 is very cold and windy. Mm-hmm. I always feel that the first scholars who moved there from Oxford chose it as a sort of penitential place. <laughs> I mean, they probably did. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas the west wind ideally comes... is, is a breeze, effort the breeze, you know. Okay. Oh. No, I had them entirely the wrong way around. Got it. Well, it's complicated. It also brings rain. <laughs> but rain is life-giving. It is, it is. You know the little medieval folk poem? A wist and wind, when wilt thou blow? The small rain down can rain. Christ, if my love were in my arms, and I in my bed again. <laughs> it's a marvellous little poem. 
<laughs> not with the love, just in bed. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> but here they're having not much of a problem here. The fierce spuman, spumador trod them down like docks. This is his horse, the fierce spumador, born of heavenly seed. Meaning something like, you know, almost golden foam or something like that. Spumador. Yeah. Golden foam. So, born of the sea, but a bit like Venus. Yeah. Their captain hears all this, stands at 20 and rushes off to, to intervene, the fault to remedy. He's riding a tiger, which is, uh, I suppose it's swift. I've got cruelty, wrath, lust. Well, yeah, yeah, that, that'll do. <laughs> Ferocity, cunning and deceit as well. Mm. Tig- tiger things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Though why a tiger needs to be cunning, I don't know. I mean... I think we've just associated them with cunning. I suppose so, yes. I mean, we think of wolves as cunning. I think of Tigger. Um, Tigger. <laughs> well, I mean, why should a wolf be cunning? A wolf can you know, rip your throat out. But they are. Careful hunters. Yeah, I don't know. I they're so. tricky beasts. Yeah, thinking of Red Riding Hood. Because, mm. again, that's where all these animals are coming from. They're coming from... Spectrum. You're right. I've not met a wolf. No, no, in in the flesh. (laughs) I'm not basing it on. Well, normally you don't meet a wolf. Tigers are solitary hunters, but wolves wolves hunt in packs. Uh, Yeah, I've not met wolves. A pack of wolves. (laughs) Or a wolf. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. No. (laughs) You really sat there like, have I? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm actually wondering if I've seen one in a zoo. Oh, yeah, probably, I'm sure. I've seen dingoes and things as well. Oh, yeah, but dingoes are. Wolfy doggies. No, 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 all right. Sub wolf, right? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I've seen tigers, but. (laughs) Yes, okay. Um, There's the wind ran underneath his load while his long legs nigh wrought into the ground. He's, he's the rabble he, he heads are basically grotesques of one sort or another, aren't they? But Maliga, this chap, has a sort of spooky, sinister quality to him, which is actually quite interesting. Mm. Quite Halloween y, actually. We're heading for Halloween. Yeah, he's, yeah. Um, for Largy was a limb and shoulders broad, but of such subtle substance and unsound that, like a ghost, he seemed. Whose grave cloths were unbound. He is like a horror. Yeah, he's a, he's a horror figure. He's anticipating gothic tropes. Yeah. Yes, very much so. And partly through sort of, um, you know, paradox of mm. death in life and life in death. Courage. Courage. That's <laughs> right. The nightmare death in life was she. Mm. Oh. Um. Oh, yeah. St. Paul? To be... Carnally minded, minded is death. In other words, zombie. If you're, you're giving up, yes, exactly. If you're, if you're devoted to sin, you're carnally minded. You've, in a sense, abandoned life and the choice path, and so on. Yeah, you're you're just marching like a zombie down the path of sin. Right into Dante. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Okay, that's right. So it's like the it's like the obverse paradox of he who loses his life shall find it. You 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 know, you die again oh. to sin and you, you're born into Christ. This is the obverse of that. The same paradox but flipped on its head. Okay. If you can flip a paradox on its head that's it. Sorry <laughs> <laughs> I follow <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 
and in his hand a bended bow was seen, and many arrows under his right side, all deadly dangerous, all cruel keen, headed with flint and feathers bloody dyed, such as the Indians in their quiver's light hide. It's very interesting, isn't mm-hmm. it? That he's... Well, yeah. what was seen as primitive humans. Yes, that's right. Or something between humans and, and animals. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, they had quite a complicated cultural status this time. And of course, Milton mentions them in Book Ten of Paradise Lost. Remember, he describes when Adam and Eve are dressed in their um, their fig leaves. Mm-hmm. He says they are such as Columbus ah, found. lately found. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> so Adam and Eve are black. <laughs> Well, <laughs> well, it's very interesting, of course, isn't it, that the first Europeans were black, yeah. of necessity. Yeah. yeah. Uh, humans are dumb. <laughs> Think how many, how many apoplexies and heart attacks that could cause if it were widely known. Uh, the adaptation of Neil Gaiman's Good Omens, which of course was popular, Adam and Eve are part of it. And they're black, and there was there was a lot of nonsense. <laughs> yeah. It's like the the Little Mermaid they've just yes, redone, and the craziness, like mad, isn't it? <sighs> but nobody ever protests about a a, 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 a milk white Jesus <laughs> <laughs> on church windows for like hundreds of That's years. Right. <laughs> exactly. Talk about whitewashing, yeah, yeah, yeah. As pale and wan as ashes was his look, his body lean and meagre as a rake. And sky all, skin all withered like a dried rook, that he was cold and dreary as a snake, that seemed, seemed to tremble evermore and quake, all in a canvas thinly was bedight and girded with a belt of twisted break. Upon his head he wore a helmet light, made of a dead man's skull, that mm. seemed a ghastly sight. It's interesting to see how, how nicely Spencer judges tempo. So we've just had a, a little passage of kind of crazy battle and rushing and carrying on and howling like beasts and then we slow right down mm. to this this blazon I was going to say it's a yeah, blazon it's yeah. a blazon of this death figure this wonderfully sinister um, death figure Maliga was his name and of course always in Spencer names are important yeah Memento oh well, yeah remember death sorry is that what his name means what Memento Mori no. No. No? Okay. Don't know why that's there then. I have notes. <laughs> oh, I think you'll probably, it might be attached to the dead man's skull. Oh, maybe that was it. Yeah. Okay, right, right, right. Yes. <laughs> I also have irascible equals basil faulty. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Us from the past. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Maliga, it means a couple of things, as you might expect, but the two main ones are Male badly, plus G-E-R, which is the root of Guerrere, which means to look after, wow. to govern. The Guerra, war. No. Yeah, look after. Interesting. No, no, that's, that's G-U-E. That's a different root altogether. That's actually uh, a Germanic root. Oh. So the word... It's Italian, though. Well, yeah. Because, yeah, Well, cool. you know, you've heard of Lombards. Oh, yeah, duh. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> the Lombards brought it to Italy, and, of course... Um, the Franks brought it to France because the Franks were a Germanic tribe. So the, 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 the Latin is bellum for war. Huh. So you can see that guerre is basically war, but with a gu- instead of a 
it's like guard and ward. Mm-hmm. You ward something, you guard it. That's the native Germanic or the Frenchified Germanic version wow. of the same word. Cool. That's why English is so rich, it's, you know. We have all the different versions. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So. Sorry, bad. And <laughs> <laughs> right. G-E-R. G-E-R meaning to govern, to manage. Bad governance, to, misgovernment. Yeah, misgovernment. So one, in one sense his name means misgovernment directly. But also E-G-R is like A-E-G-R because, you know, the A-E and the E go together. Like Ego? You can write medieval with A or you can write it with an E. So, no, aigratare means to be sick. Bad sick. Yeah, evil and diseased. How about that? Okay. So, so he stands for two... He, he stands for a kind of theological notion of... The effect of sin. Sin, yeah. which is bad governance. Yeah, which will produce... Will produce, it, yes. The, the emotional... Yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. Also, the emotional... It's... The thing itself is horrible because it's evil and diseased. It's human nature in a state of disease. Mm. We can see him as standing for a couple of things, but primarily, I think, concupiscence. Mm. Fallen. Yeah. Fallen. Fallenness. Fallen-ness. <laughs> <laughs> you are right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the, the word for fallenness, which is depravity. So he stands for depravity, or universal human depravity. And that's why he's so closely connected with death, of course, too. Because, you it's know... It's a vision of what will happen. It's spiritual death. That's the point. Yes. Because everyone dies, but you... Exactly. You spring back up. Exactly, um, exactly. But he, it's death, death. It's death, death. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, again, to be carnally minded is death, I suppose. Mm. Carnally minded. All right, mm. calm down. And let's not forget that the wages of sin is death. Really? Hmm. That's one of the things that Faustus says in his first scene when he's reading bits of scripture. He's deciding whether or not to be a, a theologian. Mm. And he doesn't read it. The second part is the, the wages of sin is death, which is deterministic. You sin, you die. But the reward of, the reward of I think repentance or something it'll do is eternal life. The wages you get, the reward, well, you might get it, you might not. You know, it's a bit. As a, as a scientist, as he is, as a yeah. materialist, he can't accept the contingent. He can only accept the actual. I'm with Faustus. Well, me too. As I Con- so often am. <laughs> well, the thing is, if, con- if contingency can just go play riot, you can't have science. If, if, you know, some bloke can come along and turn all your water into wine for a party, then what happens to the science of, you know, fluid mechanics and chemistry and... Uh, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Marlowe... Oh, Marla, Marla was know, definitely, I think, a, atheist. Yeah. Atheist in Elizabethan sense. Yeah, just ah, oh, the two wicked hags. Oh, two wicked hags. Oh, loose. You've always got to have two wicked hags. That's right. With hoary locks all loose and visage grim. Hoary locks all loose is never a good sign. Now these are hoary locks. This is relevant. Belphoebe, her hair is blowing in the wind. Yes. So. I just, I think the implications of that are interesting because it's like she just, it's natural. Yeah. Her wildness is natural. Like, I'm seeing it as working as part of my argument. It's not bound up, but she hasn't just let it lie loose and it's not like wanton. It's yes. just in the wind. In other Isn't words, that cool? yes. <laughs> in other words, she stands outside the economy of 
you know, fallenness. Oh, that's good. Thank you. Can I take that? <laughs> As does Eve with her wanton hair. Yeah, but he uses the word wanton, so it's still like it yeah, but, stings. But, well, yeah, but it's only it's only in posse. It's not in essie. You're right. Okay. But the point is, Eve herself has never heard of this. Yes. Hmm. And and really, when you see those images in in it, sorry in in Botticelli of. Venus with her hair again oh, yeah. it's exactly how one imagines her because because Belphoebe is the daughter yes of, of indeed uh, Venus uh, you know Chrysogony and and well Diana yeah yeah. thank you um, yeah that's I've been trying to figure out the wording for it alright yeah anyway. <laughs> better to say then would be outside the economy of human depravity <laughs> <laughs> She just isn't ascribed to any of it. No, she's 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 apart from it. Mm. So interesting. The more you look at it as well, and then compare it to the other female figures, like Spencer is doing something. Yeah, yeah. And then I keep thinking, other people have noticed this. I'm not special. No one's talked about it. No, no. So we've got impotence and impatience, and they're rather similar, except that um, impotence has one leg shorter than the other, (laughs) and therefore staff. Full of little snags. I like that. <laughs> so basically, um, impotence is the inability to govern the irascible passions, if you like. Oh, sorry, sorry, the, the impotence. Uh, the the, the con- concupiscible passions. So impotence, because potentia, power, potentia, is in this context the power to govern yourself, to rule well, to say no. I'm not having that Tim Tam. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but she is impotent. So okay. she's, oh. she's too weak to refuse naughtiness. Now we think of it as powerlessness just in and of it. Well, that's right. Yeah, it's lost that meaning. It, oh, it definitely lost that meaning, yeah. It's oh. a kind of specialised theological meaning. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also, it's a nice little... In a sense, it's a nice little paradox, isn't it? Because impotence arises from your not failing to do something, which means doing stuff. It's impotent mm. to visit a brothel. <laughs> Whereas it would be potent to stay home and read a good book. That is a paradox, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and impatience, because, of course, potre means to do, to have the power, patio means to suffer, to put up with. So a patient is someone who suffers, who is the victim or the the person done to. So impatience means the inability to restrain one's, uh, one's uh, irascible hmm. desires. So you're, you're so impatient that you kick the machine that's trying to not sell you, you know... <laughs> I'm familiar, I have seen yes, yes. emblems of it. Or road rage. Mm. Or think of Basil Fawlty beating his car with a... <laughs> <laughs> Remember that scene? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's impatience. And they, their impatience actually is pretty close to a modern meaning. Mm. Whereas impotence has shifted away. You're right. Mm. Hmm. Armed with a raging flame. That's all that anger and... So, as soon as Lacalle from Father Prince espied, glistering in arms and more like ornament, his beastie felly pricked on either side. 
Yeah. We know what that means. We certainly do. <laughs> and his mischievous bow for both, oh, big of pardon, full ready bent, with which at him to a cruel shaft he sent. Notice again these constant allusions to Cupid, but, you know, Cupid has so many aspects in this poem, and one of those is clearly the disruptive power of desire. Mm. Upon his shield, it no further went, but to the ground the idle quarrel fell, because of course he can resist through his own shield, which has Gloriana on it, and also by extension, in a way, the Virgin Mary, I suppose, because you know Elizabeth took over some of the kind of functions and roles of the Virgin Mary in popular culture. Mm. She was clever of her. She didn't just, you know. It's like they had a meeting. Yes, exactly. Like a, the PR a marketing people. meeting. Yes, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And, I mean, they probably did. They probably did, yes. That's right. Then he keeps shooting at him, but he's not really getting anywhere. Which, to prevent, the prince's mortal spear soon did rot and fierce at him, did ride to be avenged of that shot while there. And he was not so hardy to abide the wit of stound, but turning quick aside, rather than a sort of Superman versus, I don't know... Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor, OK. That's baddie. <laughs> That's the baddie. <laughs> Rather than that sort of battle, the knights in this poem tend to win their battles by a combination of courage, skill, and prudence. Mm. You don't wait. You don't wait for the, you know, the giant to hit you with a big club because that's the manly thing to do. You niftily step aside mm. and let him waste his force banging the club into the ground. <laughs> it's an important lesson. You know, Superman doesn't have to worry because he's... Superman. But yeah, he's, he's invulnerable except for some... Oh, Kryptonite. Kryptonite. I was thinking of his ankle, but of course that's Achilles. Achilles, yeah. <laughs> Whom to pursue the infant after hide, so fast as his good course could him bear. Infant is a good word there, isn't it? Because it reminds us an infant is a knight in training. Like a child. Yeah, like mm. a child, but... but Earlier. Earlier? Like, in knight training, infant knight... Oh, at yeah, the in, page squire yeah, yes. night, yeah. Bit bigger than that, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But not fully formed, mm-hmm. learning on the job, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So fast as a good course, a good in bear, but labour lost it was to wean approach him near. So he's a tricky customer. <laughs> <laughs> as the winged wind, his tiger fled. Few of I could scarce him overtake. So he's, there's, there's something mysterious, again, and supernatural about him as an opponent. He's not straightforward. He's not easily dealt with, if you like. Unlike his minions, in his flight, the villain turned his face as what the Tartars by the Caspian Lake. When as the Russian him in fight doth chase unto his tiger's tail and shot him pace. That whole idea actually goes back to the Parthians, doesn't it? The idea of the Parthians shot. The Parthians. Uh, it's coming. They ride away from battle. And then they turn backwards yes. and do. Yeah. Which is pretty schoolful. <laughs> and that's a term for when you're going up the staircase and you like. Ah. The French staircase. No, it's when you're coming down the staircase. Okay. Yeah, no, because the point is with the Parthian shot, you actually tell them. So if you're just leaving the room and then you, you have a, a devastating, you know, blow blow for, for Lady Ponsonby, that's a Parthian shot. Yeah, as yeah. As you're leaving. Oh, as you're leaving. But when you're actually left, the, you've left, now you've left the salon. Right. And you're now descending the staircase. Yeah. And you think, damn, I should have said to her, but of course it's too late now, you can't go back in the room and say, yeah. and by the way. <laughs> <laughs> So that's lost. It's called Esprit d'Escalier in French. The Witch of the Staircase. Witch of the Staircase. Yes. That's what I was trying to think of. And the Germans call it Treppenwitz, which means the same thing. 
do we? And we just don't have a version. We don't have a but we have a word, no. We're too... English are weird. I know, I know. <laughs> too polite. Too polite, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah interesting. Yeah, hmm. yeah. But this is if your Parthian has left the scene and then he thinks, ah, oh, damn, I should have shot that arrow. You know. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> Where were we? Have? I've lost us. Um, which to prevent them, the... Uh, inf- oh. And then... Oh, yes, 26. Oh, yeah, sorry. That's right, the Tartar by the Caspian. Thing. Yes. A pace he shot and yet he fled a pace. Still the green knight nigh to him drew. The greedy knight is quite good, isn't it? Mm. Again, you've got to draw upon the dark side. Mm. Use the force, Luke. So you know that one. I do. (laughs) (laughs) Except the force isn't bad, is it, almost? No, the force is a good guy. Yeah, but but can't it be corrupted? Oh, yeah, that's the whole point. Yeah. 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 I don't really like Star Wars. No, it won't be neither. (laughs) I once had to watch the whole franchise because of a student I was... I'm so sorry. Yeah, I know. That's so mean. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. But I haven't gone back. No. Um, where were we? Oh, yeah, he's getting a pacey shot. Relent his pace. So he's drawing them away from the battle, which is a kind of standard tactic, of course. Very much goes back to the ancient strategy. He again is using strategy, using intelligence. On Malik, he's getting him to use up all his store of. But I imagine he's got a magic store <laughs> of arrows. Yes, well, they always do, yeah. They always do. But that lame hag still has brought you, but this is impotence, of course, strew his wicked arrows, gather them again, and to him brought fresh battle to renew, which he was which he was spying, cast her to restrain from yielding succour to that cursed swain. So. There's always going to be a source. Impotence, again, is a weird source of power here because it's, it's the origin of disorderly desire. Impotence yeah. fails to restrain it. So it's actually then a positive aid in keeping it going, which is what Maliga stands for. Right. Yes, gotcha. And again, you know, I think Spencer wants us to think about these little paradoxes. Mm. <laughs> That other hag, far away a spy, binding her sister, she to him, ran hastily. So, of course, impatience. Sorry, I missed out the bit in the middle where which he is spying, cast her to restrain from yielding succor back as it's when, and her attaching thought her hands to tie. So he's tying up impotence. It's tying up impotence. Parent. See how you... Yeah. Go, a go down a wormhole here. Yeah. Um, and then impatience, of course, gets cross. Yeah. Seeing him tying up impotence. So, yeah, gotcha, yeah. <laughs> So she turns up, runs him to him hastily, and throws him backwards with her rude hands and greasy, grisly grapplement. Grisly grapplement is great, isn't it? Uh, yeah. It's like joyous jollyment. Exactly. It's the opposite. It's like, it's, well, it's like a demonic version of joyous, joyous jollyment. Yes. Grisly grapplement. You're grisly right, grapplement. yeah. <laughs> now, was it grisly grapplement or joyous jollyment? Exactly. <laughs> um... <laughs> Till the villain, coming to their aid, upon him fell and load upon them laid. The little wanted, but he had him slain, and the battle baleful entered made. So, you know, he's, he's, looks like he's done for here, um, because now Maliga has jumped on top of them. Had not his aged squire beheld his pain, and come unto his rescue, ere his bitter bane, his death. Timius, remember what Timius means? It means honour, basically. I would have got there. Yeah. 
and so he's like a he's like a sort of mini me for um, Arthur. Arthur because Arthur is praised desire. And yeah, to me as well. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And that's probably why Belle Phoebe gets the hots for him. Yes, that's that exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's part of it, yeah. <laughs> um, because it's mini Arthur. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, of course, of course, because that's what it's like. What? Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it's like the, like the Dun poem. Have ever any beauty I did see, which I desired and got? Was but a dream of thee. Oh, <laughs> that's cute. Yeah, but um, the point here is, of course, the lesson that you know. Again, he's not a superhero. Yeah, he's he's not. He can't just kind of bounce in and solve everything. <laughs> he's got to be helped by his squire at this point. Mm. Otherwise, he's done for. And then, you know, this lesson is perhaps most important under. Uh, Temperance, because temperance is, in one way, the you know, most difficult thing to, to maintain. Mm. <clears throat> so greatest, most glorious thing on ground may often need the help of weaker hand. So feeble is man's state and life unsound, that an assurance it may never stand till it dissolve in thee from earthly band. Proof be thou, prince, the proudest man alive. <laughs> noblest born in all of Britain land, yet thee fierce fortune did so nearly drive, that had not grace thee blessed, thou shouldst not, thou shouldst not survive. So again, the wording here actually, and again he's asking for a lot from the reader, but the wording echoes the, the moment when Orgolio oh. tries to smash him, but just misses him, if you like, um, where he plays on the word blessed, which can mean both to bless and also to wound. Mm. It's a French blessé, where it's a, it's a wound in a sense, cast him in the dungeon, but it's a valuable wound because it brings him on the road to healing. It's grace. It's the fortune of fall, mm, yeah, the wound of ignorance. Exactly, Sorry. and also quite... Uh, what looks like a punishment <coughs> is actually a medicine. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's all that. In one nice parcel. Yeah. So, um, that's very much what's going on here. He's being taught a lesson about dependence on God. Mm. Not being... He's not the man, or at least... Nobody is if he isn't. The squire arriving, fiercely in his arms, snatched first the one and then the other jade. <laughs> These are the women. That's <laughs> right. Also fiercely, but temperate. Yes. It's temperate fierceness. Yes, exactly, mm. exactly. You don't gawk at that. You go, yeah, that's relevant. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. His chief was lets and authors of his harms, and then perforce withheld with threatened blade, lest that his lord they should behind invade. Fair enough. <laughs> The while the prince pricked with reproachful shame, and again that word, hmm. um, reproachful shame, because he's praised desire, and now he's now he's being put in the position of verecundia, you know, which is the the sort of the obverse of uh, uh, sh- honor, shame, shamefastness, shame. <laughs> shame which is guyans, right. you know. So they stand at two ends of this: the, the positive desire for praise. Mm. Wow, there's that Garfield chap. He's He's the best, and <laughs> yeah, and Verecundia. There's Guy, and he didn't make a total bollocks of this one. That's okay, you know. Guy, <laughs> yes. yeah. Well, as he's won't to to some extent. <laughs> yes. 
uh, as one waked out of long slumbering shade, you see how grace has worked upon him, reviving thoughts of glory and of fame, united all his powers to purge himself from blame. So he's being brought back to himself. He wasn't quite himself at the beginning of that. Mm. Perhaps he was a bit too... Puffed up? Yeah, a bit Mm. puffed up. That's right. But this is the kind of slightly different kind of being puffing up because purging himself from blame. I mean, yes, there's also, there's a self-interest in there, but also it's... Spiritual and renewal. Yes, exactly. Like as a fire, the witch in Hollow Cave has long been underkept. So... His new self-mastery is here like a fire. That's a deliberate paradox, isn't it? Because fire is seen as destructive in this canto in particular. It's seen as evidence of, you know, going back to Pyrocles. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, it's the fire that fires him positively to purge it's himself of blame. motivating, life-cleansing. Yes. Yeah. So Spencer's very interested in these paradoxes in this He sense. is. And, and just the sheer complexity of things, you mm. know, the difficulty of sorting out the good stuff from the bad stuff. Mm. When I was a child and we used to watch westerns, you know, American TV, the goodies always wore white hats and the baddies always wore black hats. So Easy to keep them apart in the fight. Yes, cognitive simplicity, you know. Yeah. You, you know, and, of course, the Indians were more baddies. Mm, of course they were. Of course they were. <laughs> so his fire now, his fire against fire, with murmurous disdain doth inly rave and grudge, and so straight prison to be pressed, at last breaks forth with furious unrest, and strives to mount unto his native seat. See how, di- in, you know, if you pay no attention to context or anything else, it's hard to tell the goodies from the baddies. They, look, they kind of merge and blend in a weird way. Mm. And yet, without being actually being identical, because mm. it all depends not, not not upon the fire itself. It's like desire, you know. Desire is okay in itself. It has to be orderly, directed to the right ends, to the right extent, and so on. Same with this kind of fire. You need a bit of fire in your belly. If you're going to achieve anything. Mm. The fire keeps you warm. On fire. Yeah. You know, fire's like good. Backburn. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Clear. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. They didn't even have that example. But of course, fire is a useful household tool now. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, all the dirt and strives to mount into his native seat. All the dirt it hinder and molest is now devours. It now devours with flames and scorching heat and caddies into smoke with rage and hollow grate. So he comes out and sets about him like an angry bear <laughs> fighting off dogs um, so on one level he's distinguished because of course a bear is a nobler animal than a dog on another they're both animals yeah and of course you could you could go to the you know, south of the river Thames and see bears fighting dogs mm. any day of the week Jesus. I know horrible now had the carl alighted from this tiger his hands discharged of his bow and deadly quarrel to seize upon his flow, flat lying on the marl, which now him turned to disadvantage dear, for neither can he fly nor other harm, because you know, he's, he's, once you get off your tiger <laughs> do you tie it to a tree, I wonder? Just say stay. Say, yes. Stay tiger. Good boy. <laughs> I mean, it's a cat. It's a cat. <laughs> it's going to wander off immediately. Exactly. But trust unto his strength and manhood mere, mere, 
his mere manhood, in other words, as if now he is far from his monstrous swarm and of his weapons to himself disarm. His fault, I mean, he chased he chased him right away. Mm. So now you've got all the armies still fighting the castle, but these two are... Over there. Yep. Over there. <laughs> <laughs> the knight yet wrathful for his late disgrace fiercely advanced his valorous right arm, and him so sore smote with his iron mate, his mace, sorry, that grovelling to the ground he fell and filled his place. Well, the he's? Who's what? Oh, oh, yeah, the knight, the knight, you see, he's disarmed himself, yeah. but the knight still has his mace, so the knight comes up and okay. bashes him with his mace. Right. But this is where he discovers that he's not so easily killed. Mm. He's got some Superman properties of his own, this mm-hmm. chap. Well, weenity, that field was then his own, so he's now thinking, oh, good, I've finished that. You know, he's kind of, he's kind of dusting off his hands. And all his labour brought to happy end, when sudden, up the villain, villain overthrown, out of his swoon arose, fresh to contend, and gan himself to second battle lend. Your sin, your, you know, basically this is the idea that your struggle against temptation continues. Is never over. Yeah. yeah. It's always renewed, all the time. It's never, there's never a sort of Waterloo where you can say, all right. Job done. Job done. Let's go home for some tea. <laughs> there, by the, there lay a huge great stone which stood upon one end and had not been he, and had not been removed many a day. Some landmarks seemed to be a sign of sundry way. The same he snatched. Now here, actually, there is some doubt about the he's, isn't there? Yes. Yeah. Who snatches this damn rock? <laughs> Logically, it should be Maliga. Okay. He's making a comeback. Yeah, he is. So again, he, he dodges it, he lightly leaps aside. Afterwards, fierce returning, after fierce returning, as a full confer, the one has failed of her souse full near, remounts against unto the open air, and unto better fortune doth herself repair. So brave returning, he with his brandished blade to the carl himself again addressed. So the carl, of course, is obviously Maliga. Mm-hmm. And he skewers him, <laughs> an eager open passage through his roomy breast, riven breast. Half the steel behind his back did rest. Gosh, mm. grizzly. Grizzly. But of course, the tradition of describing grizzly wounds in epic poetry goes right back to Homer, mm. where it's quite clinical in a way. <laughs> it's curious, isn't it? When the heart blood should gush out of his chest, or his dead corse should fall upon the floor, but his dead corse upon the floor fell nevermore. No drop of blood appeared shed to be over the wound so wide and wondrous that through his carcass one might plainly see half in a maze with horror hideous. Again, this we're back to this gothic, ghoulish, yeah, you know, you're fighting a zombie, you can't kill it, you mm. put your sword through it, and there's just a hole there, but the hole doesn't mean anything. Mm. I wonder if there's a faint allusion here to Milton's angels there. Anticipatory yeah. illusion. Yeah, where well you cut you know, cut off an angel's arm and it just grows back. Kind of pointless. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Again, through both sides, he struck him quite, made his sprite go to groan for piteous, yet another mournful fled his groaning spite, but freshly as at first prepared himself to fight. So he's kind of undefeatable, which is a bit of a worry, and he's puzzled to think what he was. Trembling terror did his heart appall, the wisty what to think of that same sight. This is. It's supernatural Terry he's faced with here. I mean, he can he can face, you know, fifty knights at once. Mm. But this is supernatural Terry, a bit like Macbeth, you know. 
come with the with wheezes, you know, to the, to, the, to the image of Banquo, the ghost of Banquo, you know. Come like a human being and I'll fight you anyway, but hmm. like this. And it's the fear of the, you know, the supernatural. It's the unknown. It's mm. the... Mm. Very much so. He, he can't vanquish it the way he vanquishes everything else. Yeah. yeah. Which is, may as well, which is God and all of it, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. This is his point, yes? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. This is his point. And crucially, grace mm. is required here. And grace is like a supernatural thing for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think for them too. But by well, yeah, for humans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I see. Right. <laughs> so he's now he's getting half in the rain. Oh, yeah, we've had that fright. He's basically dumbfounded. Doesn't know what to do. He doubted lest it was some magical illusion. There's a hell of an enjambment there. That mm. beguile his sense or wandering ghosts that waste wanted funeral. Or airy spirit under false pretense. Or hellish fiend. Like, oh, mm, they're wait. not all equally morally. No. So, yeah. No, it's all. Because wandering ghost, holy ghost, Jesus, ghost. That's fine. Well, yeah, although a wandering ghost is probably unburied. A lost soul, yeah. Lost soul, yeah. yes. But, no, airy spirit. Airy spirit, yeah, that could be completely morally neutral. Yeah. He, he doesn't know. He's totally at a loss. Yeah. You know. And that's it, unless you can discern the nature temperately of, what yes, is going on. That's yeah, right. Using your senses and your... You've got no idea how to deal with this thing. Hmm. It's completely He's got knocking your, at your door. Yes. Should you answer? <laughs> Could be right. a murderer. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. You need one of the little spy holes in the door. Mm. A ring camera. Yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> Though the devil has power to assume a pleasing shape. Uh, Mustn't forget that. Who's that? That's the Hamlet. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his wonder far exceeded reason's reach. He's going a bit nutty that he began to doubt his dazzled sight and after there did himself a beach. Flesh without blood, a person without spite, sprite. Wounds See, that's hurt. Jesus. Yes. Oh, that's... <laughs> 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 that's exactly right, yes. So all these paradoxes are easily resolved if we, if we turn it back to, you know, Jesus. Yeah. Becoming man, becoming... Yes. And it can be good and it can be bad, and here is a bad version of it, Malika. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Here's bad Jesus. That could do harm, yet could not harm it be. That could not die, it seemed a mortal white. And again, <laughs> Jesus. Could not harm, yet could not. It could do harm. Christ, of course, could do harm, but oh, yeah. could do harm. Sorry. <clears throat> but he's. He can be harmed. There was most strong and most infirmity. So it's just a bunch of paradoxes which are resolved through the idea of the incarnation. Because mm. as we were saying, you know, he is death in life, which is the obverse of life in death, which is Christ. Which are it's still equal, you know. Well... Five times nine, nine times five, like it goes yeah, both ways. Commutability, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Well, on one level they're commutable. I know it's um, it's more like five to the ninth power versus nine to the fifth power. All right. Actually, I'm not quite sure which of those is bigger, but you can you can manipulate it. Um. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on one level, yes, and on the other level, no. no. <laughs> and that's the point. <laughs> that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a while he stood in this astonishment, yet would not he for all his great... Dis- astonishment? Astonishment, yes. Adam Astonic. Exactly. Yeah. Because literally it means turn to stone. Yeah, because, and, and it's his, his response to seeing the fall happen. Yes. It's the same sort of thing here. It's, it's his response to seeing an analogue that's meant to remind us of Jesus, which in turn reminds us of the fall. Yes, that's right. Is that too much of a reach? Um, to think where Milton might have got that word. Oh, no, I'm sure it was. <coughs> well, much more complicated. <laughs> but, you know... Yeah, oh no, the, con- the connection, connection there, yes. there. In terms of how they both see the word and, and our response to the fall. Yes, mm. that's right. Because you can't act, you're turned to stone, like somebody's seen the Medusa. In a time where you need to act yes. temporarily. Like exactly. There has to be action. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, it's also the talking snake problem, isn't it? You know. <laughs> A talking snake. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is this? Yeah. How do I? What do I? How do I react? What do I do? Mm. Lost. Yeah. Talking snake problem. Correct. What you need is faith at this point. Yeah. And uh, is that the point? Like you can have temperance to the cows come home, but sometimes you just need faith. Mm. Right. Yeah. Because sometimes temperance won't won't cut the mustard <laughs> or butter the parsnips. <laughs> You boil the egg. Are you familiar with those? <laughs> yeah, just. <laughs> I know cut the mustard. <laughs> no, who does? Well, I, no, like, no, no, no. I said I, I know cut the mustard. I oh, just, it's funny that but, faith doesn't cut the mustard. Is oh right, no, a I, funny term. I but you've heard of buttering parsnips. I can't say I have. Is it the, the, the old the proverb is fine words butter no parsnips. Try using it in your family. It would he not, for all his great dismay, give over to effect his first intent. That most means of victory, I say, that most issue of his own decay. Despite all this, he's not going to give up. So he does have a degree of faith here. Um, his own good sword, Mordure, that never failed at need, mm. till now, he likely threw away. So Mordure isn't going to cut the mustard. <laughs> <laughs> At need, yes, and, and his bright shield had naught him now sus- availed, and with his naked hands him forcibly assailed. So he goes. We're getting down to basics here. Mm. A bit of wrestling almost. Jiu-jitsu. Moral jiu-jitsu. Yes, that's right. It's very interesting that um, it's like Beowulf grappling with Grendel. Ah. Mm. Yeah, I feel like we've talked about this. Yeah. yeah. Whether... Yeah, I, I don't know that. I don't see how Spencer could have known the plot of it. Yeah, Beowulf. Mm. It's not really clear to me, but but it's interesting. Mm. And of course, he ripped his arm off. Took his two mighty arms, he up him up, he snatched and crushed his carcass too against his breast. The disdainful soul he thence dispatched, and the idle breath all that leave. So he's killed him. It's like a vampire, though. You got to kill him a certain way. Yeah, exactly. Though when he felt him dead, adown he cast a lumpish course onto the senses' ground. Adown he cast it with so puissant rest that back again it did aloft rebound. The dead cat bounce and gave against his mother earth a groanful sound. Uh, the earth groaned with the fall. Yeah. So again, it's you have yeah. to think of yes. Jesus. 
bouncing back. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's <laughs> <Just> resilient. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. That's what it is. So we have a little simile here of the eagle bouncing against the uh, the stented quarry falls is so forcible, rebounds against the lowly plain. The second fall redoubling back again, then, then through the prince or peril sure was passed. I thought the prince, I beg your pardon, and the peril sure was passed, but he, Victor, we keep having these little moments where he keeps saying, gosh, I did it, finally, you know. These little comic moments of self-congratulation. It's like when academics... <laughs> Final. Yes, Save that's a document right. as final. That's right. You are never humbled more. Exactly. <laughs> final one. Final. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lovely um, episode in in Gibbon's autobiography. It's on. It's, yeah, it's on oh. the list. Gibbon. Oh right. Oh, I'm right. getting to it very oh, soon. Gibbon's wonderful, but he talks about writing the last words of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire in his summer house about eleven o'clock. You know, and then going for his walk in the garden, feeling that you know. I've done it. Yeah. But also but you're course, just alone a writer, in a house. Well, yeah, that's, yeah. that's true. I, but also as a writer, you know you've never finished until he's actually gone to the press, you know, and something the size of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. So again, he's congratulating himself, and yet, so he's still marvelling in stanza 44. For he, for thy, he can some other ways devise how to take life. So you see, he was originally astonished. Now he's sort of sprung back and he's using his brain and thinking, <laughs> what the hell can I do here? Yes. <laughs> Problem solving. Problem solving. How do you kill Jesus? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, that's, you know, essentially what's happening. Exactly. With whom he marked freshly to arise from the earth, and from her womb, new spirits to reprise. Mm. Spirits meaning the life-giving. Mm-hmm. He didn't remember it well, but had been said how the earth his mother was and him first him bore. So he's using memory now. Mm-hmm. Memory. Exactly, working upon imagination. Mm-hmm. So he's using all these mental faculties that he learnt about in the house of Sheik so often as his life decayed, did life with usury to him restore and reigned him up much stronger than before. So somebody's told about Maliga, but of course he's actually remembering the myth of Antaeus. Antaeus, who is a, a monster who dwells in the Libyan desert. Basically, his hobby is wrestling passers by to death. Cool. Chap has to have a hobby. No, no further questions. <laughs> That's right. So he tries it on with Hercules. Ah, mm. ooh. <laughs> yeah, bad move. Uh, yeah, idiot. <laughs> That's right. And Hercules discovers that if he lets him down to the earth, his mother, he springs back because he gets sustenance from the earth. And remember this interestingly reminiscent of Red Cross, who gets sustenance from the on the tree. Same canto, book, canto eleven of book ah. one. The tree of life makes us swing back. But of course, this is Maliga is wicked, so he's not going to get sustenance from, from this ah. source. There's no source of grace here. Yep. It's just Mother Earth. So what he does is he, he holds up in the air, and then, and this isn't in the Hercules myth, but he drops him in a pool so that he never has contact with the Earth. That's how... I get it. Weird yeah. physics, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So he works it out for himself. Hmm. It's actually quite interesting, isn't it? Um, you could say, well, this is the operation of grace. But what has grace done? Grace has provided him with, instead of being paralysed by fear, he's moved from that to what exactly what Adam should have done but didn't do. Rational thinking. Rational thinking. How do we solve this problem? Ah, I've got an idea. And you remember, at the whole point about Adam is he says, and, and me with the... Some you know, some foe hath suborned the unawares, and me with thee hath ruined. 
So without making a decision or deliberation... That's it. He's, it's, he's already decided he's ruined. And you can read it as a very romantic kind of thing, or you can mm. read it as weak-willed. Yeah. Like Adam... Or both. Flimsy. <laughs> <laughs> Flimsy resolve. Flimsy resolve. Whereas Arthur here thinks, ah. Yeah. But interesting, isn't it interesting? Because he's using his brain. He's not relying on Grace. Maybe Grace is operating through his brain. And Spencer's kind of saying that is part of yeah. Grace's intervention. That is part of active temperance. You don't yeah. just stand there and go, ah, you go, okay. That's right. <laughs> Based on all this information, we have to act this way. Yeah. 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 So it's, very, so it's a reconcilement of these two quite different approaches. And it's largely in response to what is kind of an analogue of the fall. Mm. Like it's Jesus and, you know, and the yeah. effect. Exactly. So he's having to respond to that in yes. real time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like the way Marley uses the Icarus myth at the, in the chorus to uh, Dr. Faustus. Yeah. You know, there's a medieval view of this, that basically you're flying along, but Icarus aspires too high Where and is, is therefore cast down. Daedalus. But, and, but, and, that, and there you don't think about Daedalus. Daedalus is just carrying on. Okay. But the alternative is, look, they're imprisoned in this horrible prison but instead of praying and hoping and, you know, <laughs> being totally passive, Icarus, uh, Daedalus, works out through human intellect, invention, science a way to get them out. Mm. Now, as in all scientific you know, endeavours, yeah, partly it fails, but partly it succeeds. Icarus doesn't make it home, Daedalus does. Yeah, Frankenstein created a, a person? No, nah, we're bad though, but yeah, he did create a person. Well, that's right, that's that right. So, you know, it's a big, half, big fat half tick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he was half good. He made it. He yes. still looked after it. Um, exactly. And there's an argument there about God. It. The next one. Yeah, well. That's I, it. And he should have. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> that's the point. He wouldn't. Exactly. And he should have. Yeah. So there's a place for human intelligence and ingenuity and intelligence. In God's scheme of yeah. the fallen world. Jesus that's Christ. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Whereas so often they're opposed. Mm. Don't you Don't you worry about don't that. Don't you dare think for yourself. No. Yeah. God hates you. you Exactly. Puny. Yeah. Exactly. So Opie catches him. Mm, came into a standing lake. A standing lake, yes. And threw him led him through without remorse. The sturdy lope of life did him forsake. So end of our car's days, his own pains did make. Which is interestingly, of course, among other things, a parody of baptism. The kind yeah, of anti baptism. Uh, yeah. Brings him to death, mm. not life. Mm. Baptism brings you from spiritual death to spiritual life. This, because he's like the anti everything. Um, brings him to spiritual death. Hmm. Hmm. That remorse is interesting as well because it's totally calculated temperance. Yes. You are going without remorse. Goodbye now. That's right. <laughs> it's not that he just was thoughtless and cruel. No, yeah. That's right. You know, it's, the only way. it's like it's like you know, if you had a, a, a deadly serpent in your house, yeah. you wouldn't try negotiating with it. But there, you get the chaps in who deal with serpents. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Remorseless. The serpent people. <laughs> yeah, remorseless. So now the wicked hags, having seen this from far, like two mad dogs, they ran about the lands, throwing away her broken chains and bands. But impotence with her own willful hands, out of Maliga's cursed darts did take, so writhed her trembling heart and wicked end did make. So impotence actually commits suicide, interestingly. I suppose impotence is unable to do without sinful pleasures. Yeah. 
I guess that's the allegorical. Yeah, yeah. That would be the allegorical meaning, yeah. He comes back to his squire, though he's still a bit weak and faint, because, of course, again, he's not Superman. <laughs> but his good squire, him helping up with speed, with a steadfast hand upon his horse, did stray, led him to the castle by the beaten way, where many grooms and squires ready were to take him from his steed full tenderly. And even the fairest Alma met him there, with balm and wine and costly spicery. Balm and wine and costly spicery... Is that like the three wise men and their various... Oh, that could be. Yeah, a good point. Yes, the balm and the spices. And golden the wine. Mare, yeah. yeah, and the wine is the wine of the Eucharist, I suppose. Hmm. But I I have this... Ah, I'm haunted by this memory now. It's not... Mm, it's not the... Um, it's American, is it? But somebody's wounds are bound up with... Look, next, next week, I will... I will try and find out. out. Okay. <laughs> but there's definitely a strong illusion. There's something. There. And we do you have it in the Hamilton? I've just given up on my Hamilton. Oh. No, not a sausage. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out. We'll find out. So there we are. To comfort him with infirmity, eftsoons she caused him up to be conveyed not, and of his arms despoiled easily. In sumptuous bed she made him to be laid, and all the while his wounds were dressing by him stayed. So it's a nice little happy ending. He gets he gets reward. He gets patched up again <laughs> in Armour's castle. Guy ended did pretty well. Yeah. Well, Arthur. Sorry. Oh. Yes, Arthur did pretty That's well. Amazing. That's right. Well, he is Prince Arthur, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a magic sword and a magic shield. Just that things go bad for a little bit in the middle. They do. Of, yeah. They do. They do. Mm-hmm. But again, it's a very complex message about self-reliance here, isn't there, too? And how important it is. Yeah. Uh, on top of everything else. Mm. As part of the mixture. And in relation with God's grace, because obviously Protestantism is like, you're on your own. Yes. But this is about a relationship between being on your own and your own. Yes, exactly. Rationality with with God. God's with you. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> yeah. we've seen this from the start with, with Red Cross, you know. it's There's almost a sense in which any kind of self-reliance is, is wicked and evil because you must put all your faith in God as mm-hmm. a good Protestant. Um, but clearly that's nonsense and that doesn't work and it's just a sort of absurdly simplified... And that's one of, one of the messages of this whole poem, is, isn't it, that theology, as it's fed to the troops, if you like... Um, the, shall we say the propaganda? The propaganda, yes. <laughs> through things like the 39 Articles, which is, you know, tearing it down a lot, <laughs> or the homilies. Yeah, yeah. Is just too simple to mm. be of any real use. Mm. You know, with the Catholic Church, you had all the priests who could explain stuff to you. And in the Church of England, that wasn't quite so much the case, although it wasn't entirely ruled out or totally discouraged. So the operation of theological ideas, ideas about grace and salvation and so on, which are made to look pretty simple in the, the um, you know, portable handbook version that <laughs> they, they, they were given in practice, turn out to be much more complicated. Mm. And indeed, this is, this is, you know, part of the theme of Leah's thesis, which... <laughs> which leads us into what we're doing next, but, exactly. but not what, what you people are doing next. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so... Exactly. Well, it was fun. Thank you for joining us, folks. Um, and we'll see you next time for The Bower of Bliss. The Bower of Bliss, yes. Which is exciting. That's right. It's always a favourite. Um, hmm. Exactly. Outro music. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.